Hey guys, the following is my thoughts right when the credits rolled, basically, in uh, in Cyberpunk 2077. And it just went on for a very long time, so I figured I should upload it as its own podcast. But that's the context of this conversation with myself, is that the credits are rolling and I just finished the game. And I'm kind of just having my thoughts and review and trying to be complete. And it goes on for a while. So I didn't want to have like a an hour-long podcast at the end of a of a video. So this game's complicated. It's not cut and dry as just being trash. Like, I was constantly frustrated with all so many elements of it, but it's because I wanted it to be good, and it was from a company I expected to make a good game. And it just it isn't it's just not a great game. Uh but it's not trash. In particular, I would say it's probably better than Wasteland 3. Which was trash. <laughs> uh, that game, my god, that game might have been even more broken than this one. And I played them practically back to back. Like this is not a good time for mainstream RPG re releases in the Western style. Like it is, things are dire. Like man, like I don't, I don't like them, but. It really does pay to be a JRPG fan these days, it seems, because you are better served by by uh, at least the mainstream developers, because the Western is they're really struggling to put out a single coherent functioning game that works in this style. And it's getting increasingly frustrating. But uh, there's just so many things wrong with this game, and it's really apparent. Uh, like, obviously, there's the bugs, but the problem is that even beneath all those bugs is a deeply flawed game. And so it's kind of got that issue that I've had with a number of games where it's like people are like, yo, you should just be playing this later when the bugs are fixed. And I'm like, I don't I don't think just fixing the bugs will resolve all the other issues I have with this game, like which has been a thing that happens with a number of things like Wasteland 3 or Kingdom Come Deliverance or No Man's Sky and so on. It's like there's like No Man's Sky is a little bit of a weird case because they changed the game so significantly. But I don't I don't necessarily think that it, that what it is now is something I would like, but it's definitely changed the, its basic DNA in a bunch of ways. Having no story and no main campaign makes that more possible. But all these games that have a main spine, like Wasteland 3 and this, it's like, there's only so much that will ever change. At the, on a foundational level, the gameplay will be what it is. The story will be what it is. They might add a quest or add a mechanic or tweak some, some balancing, but foundationally it's going to be this on a structural level just without the crashes and t-posing and parts where you have to troubleshoot a quest when because it, it's broken which oh having that happen in the main story is brutal like this is the game where you pick an intro and then your intro immediately is irrelevant and never comes up again like in my case it informed my character and it made it feel like a, I started somewhere and then came back to that character that place and then made the ending feel meaningful. I kind of I'm kind of concerned that other people might just get a less satisfying ending if they didn't pick Nomad to begin with because it enables a kind of like full circle element even if it's very token then it would be otherwise where you kind of just it's kind of like a fuck it nature with other if you think about other narratives, but I haven't, I haven't seen their intros, but they're not nomads. So it's just like, you know what? Night City's fucked me enough. I'm just going to leave. It's, it's like there's just a fuck it nature to that, which I, isn't completely unearned. But with a nomad, it's like 
it's you know stove hot <laughs> like i was i lived this way tried this new thing no going back going and but you know going back changed and a new family a new life and, and all that not just going straight back to the backers the back to the backers uh the main story isn't there's like it's actually frustratingly uninteresting and it really is just a matter of meeting a series of characters that you hopefully like and then oh lizzie wizzy was just played by grimes i don't really know grimes that well I think she's a musician that's married to Elon Musk. That's all I... That's it. <laughs> uh, but I think her music was in the, in, the, in the version of the soundtrack that's censored if you play with the stuff switched so you can make video content. Uh, like, the characters carry this. Which is why it's a bit rough that the characters aren't... They're, they're kind of a mixed bag. Because <laughs> the main story is basically you go on this big heist and it goes bad... And then you get the chip and all that. All of that part of the narrative was actually pretty good. The setup with Jackie and T-Bug and how the heist goes bad and the escalation there. Like, that was all the highlight of the entire narrative for me, basically. But then the main story... Just gone. It's like, the moment you get woken up by Takamura and you finish your whole intro of, like, oh, here's Johnny Silverhand. and he, Like, the game gets worse when Johnny Silverhand's added to the game. And it's not the character's fault. That's just when the open world starts. Like, in, like, the non-linear, here's your three-pronged main story that you can approach in any in any order and so on. The big bulky part. The, the, the open world problem of the, how this game could have had a focused narrative and could have had more focused mechanics, but then they wanted to be an open world because that's just what AAA games do these days and that's what they're known for too. And it doesn't really serve almost element, almost any part of the game, especially since the open world has like no mechanical meaning and function. It's just a padding of space between all of your objectives and it runs poorly and it makes the whole game worse. That's like it's just this fucking like boulder that they're carrying on their back that just made the whole game so much harder to make unnecessarily. Like they're almost working. It feels like they're operating out of habit. Like it has to be open world because they're all open world. But once Johnny Silverhand's introduced to the narrative, it's just like I don't know. You just kind of do these three separate main story campaigns, and then each of those three separate campaigns spot uh, gets has a switch where it's like. You've reached the end of the part where this main story campaign is main, main, main story, but you can follow up with those characters to do this, their side content because they're, it feels cohesive. Like there's no switch where you're like, now we, now we're in the side content. Like if you just, if you don't pay attention to quali the uh, categorization of the quests, it feels like you're just naturally continuing their stories. It's just the fact that they're, you've gone past the bare minimum for continuing the main story. And it's good because you should be invested in those characters and that's like the point of a lot of that stuff. But... The main story really is like you get Johnny Johnny's in your head and then you spin your wheels for a very long time, largely understanding that it's like, yep, you can't really just fix this Johnny in your head problem. Then there's a magic well spring underneath Arasaka Tower and you need to get there to fix the Johnny problem. Like shockingly little main story actually happens functionally between those points in the main plot there's all the side plots of all the characters you meet and you there are mandatory plots with those characters along the way but there's, there's surprisingly little in service of the main story and so like that's it's 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 just kind of frustrating because the intro is really good 
like all like like how bad your plan is how everyone's thinking this is going to be their big heist that's going to they're, they're going to tire on the characterization where like you kind of care about T-Bug and you really care about Jackie he's one of the best characterized people in the game and he's gone immediately frustratingly uh and then Dexter Deshawn like th that cast is interesting hey his screen his name's on the screen now uh those are all really interesting characters except maybe T-Bug T-Bug's not that interesting she does, she has relatively little uh screen time and all that but you know the back and forth between her you and jackie largely worked and it could have gone somewhere if she survived which is like this this works like getting you invested in certain characters then killing them off like the, there's a number of rpgs have done that where the the intro gives you a party and then everyone in that party dies at the end of like the first map and if they do it right you're invested in those characters and it feels like this loss when they're gone the question is whether you can replace them with a suitably uh, like a, a suitable replacement of characters that are like the same level and I'm like mm, Did they though? I don't know if they did Eventually over the course of the game You meet some characters that are pretty well developed and obviously get a lot more screen time than Jackie ever did and all that but there's a There's a there's a frustration with the uh, you kind of never have a crew again the same way you did at the beginning and so you don't really have a main cast that's with you throughout the game. It's just you and Johnny Silverhand. And Johnny Silverhand also feels underserved. I discussed this earlier in the playthrough, but some people just come here at the end to just watch, listen to me review a game during the credits sometimes. But, like, Johnny Silverhand just should have done more and been more. He didn't have an especially strong or even coherent political, like, ideology. He, like, he's supposed to be this rebel, but he had surprisingly little... Spe specific to say he was like an arch typical rebel and that's it which was it's its own kind of frustrating but there's also just the fact that they like they set up the idea that he can take over your body because he literally tries to kill you with your own body than your first encounter with him and then immediately things get muddied because he just takes a back seat and you take over your body and you just play like normal and johnny silverhand just becomes your imaginary friend and he never ever 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 does that again for the rest of the game up until the end like you play for dozens of hours where the only symptoms of you having the relic in your head are that every now and then johnny talks to you to be snide and dismissive but still vague and irritating and then uh during a main story mission without fail pretty much during your main conversation you, you'll have like relic malfunction detected and your vision gets blurry and maybe he'll cough once or something or you go, ah, shit! And like he'll play the same ah, shit voice line that he always plays. And it's like, that's... That's the mechanical integration of that. Like, you don't have to, like... There's no, like, Dead Rising 2 mechanic where you have to, like, keep acquiring and using these pills or something. Like, there's no... There's no trade-off. Like, Johnny taking over doesn't give you, like, certain stat bonuses. Like, like there's no, like, meter. Like, there should be, like... Like, there could have been, like, a meter that you were... That you were navigating with pills... And like every time it gets low, Johnny certain stats maybe get better as a risk reward thing because Johnny's experience is kind of coming in, but you're also losing control. And you might like maybe you'll even make like narrative choices against your will because he might do things that he doesn't that you don't want him to do. And there's like a back and forth, like any kind of mechanic. And on some level, like here's like I, I feel like I've been spoiled, but like Breath of the Wild and Pathologic 2 just did such a good job at evolving the open world and like in different ways. Uh, Breath of the Wild is not really an RPG, but it is like an open world game. And that's the thing that we're keep latching onto here. 
Uh, and then Pathologic 2 is absolutely an RPG, even if it doesn't have leveling up, which means, means shallow people can't tell that it's an RPG for some reason. Uh, but like Pathologic 2, in like Breath of the Wild would be a better example of how to make the world actually interesting because the world is so fucking boring in this game on a mechanical level. It's barely interactive and it's basically just a very expensive game ruining uh series of backgrounds to look at uh and then uh, a pathologic 2 is a good example of how to actually fucking implement your open world meaningfully into your narrative especially when you're playing as a character who is sick and like like and and like has pro like those kinds of long-term problems to potentially navigate but instead they just did nothing with those so it's just a token narrative thing where you play as the generic badass that you always play in every open world rpg and you just kind of they kind of just nudge at the idea every now and that you're totally dying or something and it's just so disappointing because instead of doing something interesting they did nothing and that's a constant thing is like they kept playing this doing the safe choice of just doing another open world game and not doing any particularly interesting choices along the way and the things that work and the things that they did do differently were mostly baffling half-baked strange mechanics like like you can walk around during almost every conversation in this game for some reason but like you have to, like you you get locked in the conversation anyway so you can't hit f to pick things up or interact with the environment so you can't like multitask while the conversation's happening like a real person would so i'm definitely wondering like why can i why even let me because on top of because like what's the trade-off it's like you have shittier camera angles you can't see everything correctly people are often standing in like a circle around you so you're whipping the camera around trying to look at who's talking but you don't know who's going to talk in advance so you're just kind of whipping after they start talking you can't crouch you can't interact you just you're just a shittier camera like we have we've had better cameras during conversations for decades at this point like just go back to like even the shot reverse shot of like kotor one would just be a basic nod towards like let's just like look at the people who are talking and like we customized a character wouldn't it be a nice to see your customized character in cutscenes? you know like Geralt like you, among other things, one of the like there, there's there's two things that help you get attached to Geralt in in The Witcher Three. One is the obvious part is obviously he's just a very well written character that's beloved from a fantastic series of novels, and I've been poking at those, and that that's just it's just solid writing, and he's Geralt's just really a good, one of the like one of the better characters that exist. Period. But like you also get to see him. He makes snide remarks. He makes faces. There's like a He's got this uh, this sort of like deadpan to him that's that's really fucking funny uh, a lot of the time, and he's he's a, he's a clever dude, and there's just like good characterization not just in his voice but his his face. You get to see him react to things. In this game, we customize a character, and we have the outer worlds problem where you only see them in your inventory screen, and like I think one cutscene in the entire game, the one at the end, and maybe the one at the beginning when I looked in a mirror. You can only see yourself in mirrors when you press the load mirror button, which is such a funny mechanic because, like, all you can, like, I guess if you really want to make a face, you can do that. Other, but like, there's already a photo mode, so I don't know why the, the mirrors were so necessary anyway. Because the mirror is just like a slower version of you pressing the inventory button and just looking at your inventory screen to see your character. But like. It's, but like, it's the Outer Worlds problem where I customize this character and I spend all this time making a guy that I want to play as. And then it's like, 
you're never going to see him a single time because that game was also just an entirely first-person game where not even conversations would show your character. So it's like, why did I customize a character <laughs> just to, like, gesture vaguely at the idea that I customized somebody? Like, at least in Elder Scrolls games, you can play in third-person if you want to. So you can run around in third-person to see your character in, like, in the world a bit whenever you feel like it, even if it's generally preferred to play in first-person. But, like... I only saw my back when I was on a motorcycle and that was when I was glitching out and not even showing my character correctly because I would be a weird bald person and so like it that doesn't even really replace my guy it's just it's just it's what a weird what a weird choice but yeah that the Perales narrative was more interesting than what was happening in the main story at that point so like I've I wanted to follow up on that and it just fucking stops midway through the stream and you're like okay the ambiguity is kind of fun. Like, you don't really know the ending. You don't really know what's up. Like, he suspects the wife, just like I did at one point, And it's unclear, really, if he's just being paranoid or not. Uh, there's also ambiguity of whether or not V survives. Because they're like, I don't know, it's the cyberpunk universe. Maybe we can figure this out. Hell, it's they leave it open enough that they could literally make a sequel where you play as V again if they want to. Especially with the Nomad ending. And... Like, they could just have another narrative play out in the next six months. Like, he's not going to be... It's going to it's gonna take him a while to die. But he is already getting... He, it is pretty rough that right out the gate, he immediately is bleeding and and uh, suffering from... from Not the same symptoms, but definitely his own symptoms. Like, he doesn't have, like, the weird glitchy effects anymore, but he's got, like... He's bleeding out of his face in some way. I have to say, I have to say in some way because, you know, we can't see his face. So in those cutscenes, he's like, you're bleeding. I don't know. Mouth, nose, eyes. <laughs> That'd be horrifying, but who knows? Ears. There's all sorts of different holes people bleed from sometimes when they have a brain injury. Uh, Judy was kind of like an interesting introspection on like the hollowness of revenge. Uh, Pan Am has the most coherent narrative arc overall and gets the most screen time in general, I think. Uh, River has a bit going on. He, he's a he's he's a decent, uh, decently developed character. Wasn't particularly attached to River or even. Hmm. It often felt like there was an obstacle between me getting particularly attached to most of the characters, but a lot of the cast, once again, has the Outer Worlds problem. Not the same one as I said before, but another Outer Worlds problem. And the kind of like the Pillars of Eternity problem, where you have this big, long game, and so you would think that you'd have a lot more development and screen time with some of these characters, but a lot of them had surprisingly little to them. Like, I often think about, like, the, uh, the dwarf hunter in... Pillars of Eternity, which you meet her and she has this really interesting backstory about why she's here and what she's up to and what her culture's like and so on. And then she kind of stops talking for the entire game until she might have one or two. She might have like a little reaction here and there, but like not much of like a, a lot going on necessarily. And then there's like the one loyalty mission with her where you kind of po you kind of like resolve the thing that she was like here to do and then she goes back to silently following you around again and, you're, and you're, i'm just like i i don't know i like character driven stuff and so i kind of can be frustrated when i'm spending so much time with characters and there's just not that much to them and so i can't help but think about like 
that with a lot of the characters. Like they introduce like Mama Wells and uh, Misty and Victor and a bunch of these other characters that aren't like the big three most developed characters. And they're just like, there's not that much to them. And they're kind of just kind of don't carry the game. There's a, I don't know. I don't really know how to, I don't know how to write characters. I don't know like what makes them mem especially memorable and, and attached to you necessarily. Like it's hard to articulate exactly what it amounts to, but there was definitely an element in uh, Witcher 3 of how like there was all these magnetic personalities and these people that you just wanted to see more of. And I don't know if any of the characters in this game necessarily reached that level. It was more like, let's do the next quest because it's the next quest. And it's like, oh, that person's here. Yeah, they're all right. If for like, there's like a couple characters that I'm like, that I kind of knew or, uh, and I'm like, yeah, that guy. Yeah. He, they're, they're kind of likable or whatever, but it's not like what's going to happen next with Yennefer in this game and stuff like that. Or like these characters in Witcher three that you like, whenever they showed up again, you're like, oh fuck, it's them. And you're like, and they have all these like nuanced performances about the, with involving their, their complicated motivations and their personalities. And you just like, are just eating the stuff up. In general, it's just like a, a the, one way or another. The like when I played Witcher three and when I played Thronebreaker, I was just eating them up, and I could not get enough of those games. And I I don't think I ever burned out or was like, okay, when is this going to end? I think at some point in Witcher three, I might have marvelled at how long I'd been playing because it was like 150 episodes or something, or maybe even more than 200 by the end of the DLCs. Where like I was like, my God, this is a incredibly long playthrough but i also just kind of keep want want to keep going like there are games out there that i just i want to keep going with like breath of the wild and witcher 3 and this game didn't just did not accomplish that and that's i guess the most collective criticism of all of it as a package and like that's just the just was just wasn't there I can look at individual elements and be like, that part's nice, and that part's nice, and then look at other parts and say, that see, that part's shit, and that part's shit. And it's hard to say why one works and the other one doesn't. Because, like, Witcher 3 didn't have the most deep combat. I was about to talk about how, like, this game, just the, the combat just wasn't very interesting. You fight humans basically the entire game, and you, you can just, you just shoot them. And they, they all behave roughly the same. Uh, there's a couple, there's a handful of cyber psychos that go into ninja mode, but, like, Almost everyone in this entire game is basically the same enemy repeating over and over again without without much variety. But also your ways of dealing with them aren't particularly appealing. You just shoot them with a variety of guns, but they're not like... Like, it doesn't feel like a proper shooter. Like, in a... When I play Doom or Halo, every gun has a particular function and feel, and the, you flow between them all, and everything has a purpose, and... Like everything feels powerful if it one used correctly and so on, but like because this is like a a looter shooter, it's got the Borderlands problem of just like I don't know, just a bunch of fucking guns with colored names and random stats, and just shoot the health bar a lot and make it go down, and so like everyone kind of just stands around and gets shot, or they take cover periodically, and like there's a lack of like the movement's not that interesting, like all the characters. Like, even if you run around like crazy, the enemies aren't going to, like, behave like they're characters in a shooter. 
it's not like like in Halo, the Covenant all move differently and behave differently, and they work together in a variety of ways, and they interact with the environment, and so it's a big, dynamic, interesting sh- uh, battle. And that's that's the thing about RPGs is that being an RPG is inherently a genreless genre. Like it's just about whether or not you can role play, which means like you can make meaningful choices with your character, and like custom not like not just level up and customize them, but specifically like drive their story and you know play a role and snide people would be like you could play a role in mario and it's like that's a willful misinterpretation and it's stupid try to keep up <laughs> but uh like 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 but like that that story interaction and that characterization and those behaviors like that's what makes an rpg an rpg a simple one will just have dialogue choices but a more ambitious one will let you interact in a gameplay way like like ah i can just shoot this character that's important to the story and stuff like that and that and the story has to react to that uh but like that's that is the rpg part is the is that those branching stories and those checks and things and and the more complicated and interesting they can make that the better but in addition to that rpgs generally insist on having combat and then that combat is just basically going to be another genre. Like you can have an RTS RPG, you can have a card game RPG, which was the last game. Uh, you can have a third-person action adventure RPG, which is one of the most common versions. But then you have a shooter RPG like this one. And what sucks is that many shooter RPGs, their solution is just to be a, sh- a bad shooter. I like I I, I hate Borderlands uh, and a lot of the looter shooters out there and so on because they just they're just like trying to. Those games in general are just trying to be Diablo, but a shooter. And Diablo 2 is just like this infinite mindless grind, or especially Diablo 3. It's just like this, like, just keep clicking forever, and the numbers keep going up, and then you keep clicking, and it's like it's just designed to keep you playing forever, and just like numbers for numbers' sake. And like the gameplay gets diluted in many of those, diluted, not not diluted in many of those cases. And uh, it's like you can... Your, your 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 RPG that is a shooter is allowed to be a good shooter. It doesn't have to be a shitty, monotonous, diluted shooter where all that matters is stats and crafting and making your numbers the goodiest so that you can shoot the guy with gooder and so on. And then some hyper-convoluted skill tree that's mostly just a bunch of percentage increases that almost never give you a new ability, but instead just slowly keep kicking the rock further down the road of being better at the one action you're performing the whole game that is not necessarily meaningfully different from the beginning of the game to the end of the game but instead just just shoot them with numbers and the numbers are numberier and it's just a race like can you keep your numbers ahead of the enemy's numbers because they're going to go up slowly so you better keep ahead of their numbers or the game's gonna get harder i guess uh it leads to a paradox where uh, funnily enough uh normal shooters are better at simulating progression than rpgs are like i'm playing half-life alex right now and over the course of the game i get it i keep like you get a gun and you really spend time with that gun and then eventually you get a new gun and that has new purposes and new things that opens up to you and then you maybe can upgrade that gun and that's like the basic arc of like Halo and Half-Life 2 and Half-Life Alex and Doom 2016 and so on is that you start off with this gun and you're like, okay, this is the things this can do and here's the solutions I can solve with this gun and blah, blah, blah. Here's my new gun. Oh, this this changes things. And here's new enemies. Oh, this changes things. 
And like that's progression. That's a power ramp. That's me feeling like I'm getting stronger, but also the enemies are getting stronger and it's all meaningful on a mechanical level. This whole this is fucking lazy. This this fucking looter shooter genre where it's just you fight the same enemies with the same guns the whole game, but your guns get numberier and they get numberier and you have to do a bunch of irritating inventory management just to keep up with the fucking race of making your numbers more numberier. But like mechanically, the game's not doing anything. You're just on a treadmill the whole game. Like, why did we settle for this? Why the why are we like this? I guess I'm not, I guess, because I'm sitting here complaining about it. But, like, why? Why is this satisfy people? <laughs> like, I guess this is the fucking, like, Genshin Impact audience. I don't know. Oops, I said Genshin Impact. <laughs> uh, I just... There's so many good shooters that I don't really think it's fitting to be a shitty shooter anymore. That we should want more from our RPGs than that. And for that matter, this game, there's the, there's the Deus Ex. Deus Ex is, is hovering over this game as a specter the entire time because it's just the most obvious comparison because it's a stealth action hybrid shooter in the cyberpunk universe or a cyberpunk. I, I shouldn't say the cyberpunk universe because Deus Ex is its own universe. And I think this game is the officially licensed the cyberpunk. I think Johnny Silverhand might be like a real figure in the cyberpunk mythos or something like that kind of stuff like like some of these characters meant something to somebody when they went into this game but for me i have no context so i don't have a reason to know which ones are like the real because i think this is licensed from the cyberpunk tabletop universe maybe or something i don't know because there's not obviously there isn't a cyberpunk there's like you, you, when you say the cyberpunk, there probably is like the one official license that gets the name cyberpunk, but there are so many cyberpunk universes that it's just, they're just all over the place. Philip K. Dick, T.S. Eliot, because they, they had a bunch of like quotes from books, right? Like the balancing was out the fucking window in this game. Uh, there's the, there's the issue where like at the beginning of the game, it's hilariously difficult, like stuff is just you're you're so useless at the beginning of the game but almost immediately you become massively overpowered and never have a problem again so it quickly goes away so you spend the majority of the playthrough just destroying everything uh and you could be like well at the beginning v's new at this no he's not v's been doing this for six months and he was in the backers before that <laughs> like he was he was a nomad for years and then he was in night city with jackie for months and he's like somehow a sad little baby boy uh, at the beginning of the game that can barely fend for himself. And then by the end of the game, he's hilariously overpowered in every possible way and just a nightmare. And uh, it's just like, why? What? Why? Why did he? I, I guess you. I guess the. I, I. I can see the. I can see the argument already. It's like it's gonna be like, it's because he's being overwritten by by Johnny Silverhand, and Johnny Silverhand's such a cool boy. So over the course of like two to four weeks which is like it's the vague window the game takes place in probably uh he becomes he gets more combat experience and more effective than he ever was in like the last 10 years of being uh, somebody who was already running around and shooting people and fighting and so on i don't know just it's hard it's hard to buy that he's so useless at the beginning 
and then he's immediately ramped so hard. But it's also like a weird balancing issue of like why, like what is the intended difficulty level of this game? Because I feel like it never, I never got a coherent idea of what how difficult the game wanted to be because it was all over the place from every moment to moment. Uh, I just, uh, so disappointing. People will be like, you just wanted to, there's the inevitable, like, you're, you're just nitpicking, or you wanted this game to be bad, or you wanted to hate it. It's like, yeah, you're right. I, I fucking carefully planned my schedule for all of 2020 around playing this game immediately on launch day because I hated it and wanted it to fail. That was totally my plan. I could have just not played it. That's what I do when I think a game's gonna be bad. You know that, right? Like, I don't intentionally play bad games, except on except for when it's like a funny thing. Like, I'll play like a Sonic game or an Alone in the Dark 2008 type game with a friend when I know it's gonna be bad or Y2K because I just, I gotta see it and experience it. But like, this wasn't like fun. Like, the, the, this wasn't bad and fun. Well, the, the occasionally the glitches were pretty funny. But like, this wasn't one of those those fucking incredible wacky adventures like playing Sonic 06 with a friend. Like that, this was not the goal of this playthrough. I was actually anticipating this game, and or at least, at least I wanted it to be good. I don't get, I don't really get hyped for games anymore. I've been burned too many times uh, in the past, like Mass Effect Andromeda. But even before that, a lot of other cases for a long time, just being disappointed. And so, like, I, I cut through the hype in a lot of cases, and I just call shit out. And I can be frustratingly right, I guess. And I don't want to be, but I am. Uh, like, No Man's Sky, right before it came out, I called out all of the problems it was going to have, including the fact that it wasn't going to have multiplayer, despite everyone thinking it was going to have multiplayer, and how, like, the basic problem with exploring is that, like, when you explore in a video game, you're exploring a crafted level. Like, you explore Legend of Zelda. You explore uh, Dark Souls. Because, like, you have this big, crazy environment that's beautiful and has all these different places you can go. And there's a main path for steamrolling through. But there's all these little nooks and crannies and cool secrets you can discover. And, like... Souls games over always go like 12 layers deep of like there's like entire hidden covenants and NPC quest lines that you can only find by really, 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 really looking around and exploring and really double backing and like trying to figure that out and so on. Like there's like there's rewards for exploring, but the exploring comes from the fact that it's like a handcrafted thing designed to be explored. And so I'm like, how interesting can No Man's Sky possibly be? when to explore when all these planets are just going to be fucking balls of clay with random points just speckled all over them and like the entire planet's going to be basically the same like geography and climate and plant life and animals and no one had made them by hand because they're procedurally generated so you're just going to like I don't know. Do so you want copper? Just go east until copper happens if this is a planet that has copper on it and you'll find some copper and then just you scan and run to the nearest waypoint that says the thing you want, and then you run to the waypoint that takes you back to your ship or your base or whatever, and you just, like, the map's practically meaningless. It's just a series of randomly generated nodes, and you're not really exploring in any real way, aside from the immediate starting image of just getting to a new planet and be like, whoa, look at that ball. 
look what it looks like. And then that after 30 seconds, that wears off again. And you go back to the gameplay loop of just running around to randomly generated nodes that don't really involve any meaningful exploration because there's nothing special to discover. Like there's always that element of like, wow, I'm the only person to ever see this, which is cool. But like it's not you're not seeing something that's necessarily worth seeing. And so I, I did this whole breakdown of that shit before the game came out, and then lo and behold, it's like, ah, fuck, here it goes. <sighs> and so my my primary concerns, if you go, like, I think this was like a Patreon Q&A, like a year or two ago, I discussed this game and how, like, it's going to be frustrating. Like, Because, like, on one level, I was like, I don't... I don't think I trust them to actually engage with the themes of this setting in a particularly engaging way and and make it really interesting and challenging and like oh man the morality the moral dilemmas here and uh what well, what would you do in this situation and wow the cyberpunk universe sure is fucked up and all these other things are or like commentary on reality and real life politics and capitalism or just anything anything like just do something with it uh and that was i was mostly right about that like they just they just don't go that far with it. They uh, There's occasionally a story that could only be told in this setting mechanically. But in many cases, they just set up an idea like dolls and cyber psychos. And then it kind of just sits there. And the narrative might interact with it a little bit, like once or twice. But it's mostly just an idea that sits there. The only idea that they really follow through with is the idea that you have have johnny silverhand taking over your mind which itself as i said before is like really undercooked because he's not like resting control from you throughout the game and what the fuck's up with the pills like suddenly the pills show up at the end of the game like they were all there all along and it's like we never use these pills that ever ever we've never talked about this was this supposed to be a gameplay mechanic or a narrative mechanic in this game that was supposed to be happening throughout it and you like didn't implement it because this game's not done because that's a bummer because out of the out, out, out of nowhere at the end of the game, they completely rewrite, maybe even multiple times, how the mechanics work of of Johnny being in your brain. Like were these suicide pills? No, they're actually just let Johnny take over pills now. Is that what they're doing now? But now there's also an anti Johnny pill. I could have had I could have had anti Johnny pills this entire time. That was that also not a gameplay mechanic. Why wasn't that a gameplay mechanic? But uh. But yeah, like Johnny being in your head and having the th- in your way that could only be done in this setting. At least, like, it wouldn't be done in like a like if this set if this was set in modern day, that wouldn't happen. Is what I mean. Like, it requires it requires the technology at least. Like, that's the one mechanic that sticks to the main story. The fact that everyone's mo- around me is modded almost never matters. But there's there isn't really much transhumanism or body horror going on that much throughout it. And so on. So like the setting is just kind of like a backdrop. It's like a cosmetic thing almost. Like it's just under, it's underutilized. Whereas the Witcher setting, like it's a it's a bummer because the Witcher is so tied to its setting and its mechanics, and this one just doesn't do that much with that. The other thing I discussed is that like I don't, I'm bummed. I was bummed out that it was going to be an open world game because, to some extent. You can get away with that in a third-person action game. Like, a third-person action game being open-world, it's like, okay. The level design's not that interesting a lot of the time, but Geralt doesn't necessarily interact with the environment in that much of an interesting way and doesn't seem to necessarily always need to. 
the thing is that when you get to a place, you're going to discover something crazy. Because, like, this one's going to be, like, here's here's a witch. Uh, here's a here's a, a ghost that's haunting a well. And here's the unique mechanics that you, d you deal with with that. Because you have to, like, enter the be able to fight ghosts mode and prepare and so on. And here's a clearing that's being attacked by a dragon or a griffin or someone. And here's a, a pack of zombies or whatnot or the Neckers and things like those are all different enemies that behave differently. And so like it, it, it leads to a situation and, and like they're they're aesthetically different. They're thematically different and their their environments are different. So while the gameplay was relatively not that interesting in Witcher 3, like the combat, it wasn't there just wasn't that much to it. Uh exploring was more rewarding because you just had so many things you could encounter you could encounter an entire fully voiced and fully scripted multi-stage quest chain on accident on a whim like how late in the game or even post game i just randomly got like arrested and like what is this entire storyline uh but also just wandering around doing all these filler nodes the gigs like it was just more rewarding in that setting because there was so much setting specific stuff just everywhere. And even if the each even if the encounters weren't massively deep, uh, it was like, oh, fuck, we're doing a lesson today. I did a necker yesterday. And then the day before that was like a bandit camp. Like it was just a different experience. There was so much more variety in that pool. In this game, you either stealth past or fight humans with guns and like a couple times there's a drone or a robot <laughs> but basically just humans with guns like the setting has way less variety and so what you really need to pull up on is just having really really carefully designed and interesting levels and so like if you if you deus exit like yeah you can have like these really these really carefully crafted maps there's a handful of them, and like that's the game. But you pour all of your love into making these really interesting maps in that way. Your Deus Ex, your um, Prey, uh, your Dishonored. Like these these games are games that I will go back. Like I would gladly go back to one day and play them again because they were good campaigns. Even Human Revolution. I mean, I mean, I mean, even Mankind Divided uh, was had more going on, even if it has its own disappointing elements all oh, that's hub world was pretty fun to explore in its denseness denseness is good you don't have to have a massive sprawling world that's empty and then all of your resources go into that and your whole game is hobbled but in particular there's an element of just shit sitting in a field like i was worried because in witcher 3 shit just sits in a field and you just walk up to it and there's just nodes on a map so it's kind of the far cry four and five problem where it's like the whole game is a series of camps that you go attack go attack those camps and it's like technically technically each one of them has its own layout i guess but like they all blend together immediately you go you go to the camp you shoot all the dudes you maybe disable the alarm so they can't call more dudes and you can, there's a little bit of a playground there. Like, you can, like, try to get a bear to attack them or light something on fire. But, like, the camps themselves, despite having different layouts each time, just functionally, just, they don't feel like an interesting, unique, memorable experience. Like, I don't have a memory of each one in, in the way that I would a level of, like, Deus Ex or Dark Souls or so on. But, like, if, there, if it was going to be a lack of enemy variety and a more restrictive setting on that level... 
it really seemed like what they needed to do was go the Deus Ex path and have really carefully crafted maps and have really good stealth levels like Thief and Prey and so on. Like just and, and yeah, stealth action. Like you can do them either way, but like have them designed to be played in those ways and really, really carefully make those levels. Which admittedly, I don't think CD Projekt Red has any history of really having carefully crafted levels that are interesting to play through on a mechanical level. They just kind of just do this. This is their an open world map is just their default, and I don't know if it's in their skill set to do other than that. But the moment that this was going to be a first person. Uh, a first-person cyberpunk game with stealth. I'm like, like this. This kind of has to be a particular genre of combat and exploration, or it's just going to be a kind of sludge of content. But they, uh, I don't, I don't know if they didn't think about this, or they, because they just see this as their default formula, or if they just couldn't do it, or who knows what. But who knows what their trajectory was with this game? But uh. They seem to have just been like, let's just do Witcher 3 again, even though we've changed the setting and the characters and the gameplay mechanics and the perspective even. They still tried to do a Witcher 3 map and then lo and behold, that like that gig spam, those like interesting nodes that were everywhere in Witcher 3 just don't hit the same when the map when the map isn't the same kind of fantastical and the enemies aren't the same kind of varied and so on. Like it's just not it doesn't amount to much. So the gigs just blurred together to me. It's like there's a building, there's a guy in the building to shoot, or you have to shoot all the guys in the building, or you have to get a computer in the building. And like, it, it, it became so automated that I couldn't, I could barely even remember what I was doing at the moment. Like by the end of an episode, I'd be like, wow, I just, I just did another hour there, there I went. And I'd be like, I, what did I do this hour? <laughs> what did I what did I do today? I don't remember. Like, it, this game just goes through you like wind uh, whenever you're doing side content. Like, the, like the, the majority of the content side content, not the, the main story side content. It's, 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 hard, it's, it's a little hard to qualify, but like the side stories with main characters obviously have more to them. But only on a narrative level. Almost always, mechanically, they just don't, ha and, and even map-wise, they almost never actually have that much more going on. If you're lucky, you'll eventually see a new setting. Like when I was with Pan Am and we went into a tunnel, there's this weird little like facility in a tunnel. And I'm like, this came out of nowhere. What's this new place? Whoa. Like occasionally you get to see something new, but a lot of it's just flows through you. And it's just, it's just a bummer. I don't know. We'll see if this, uh, if they make a sequel or DLC and if they learn from any of their mistakes or whatnot, I'll probably play the DLC. If they make one or camp or expansions, because they did for the last game they made, but that game was a much more uh, unmitigated success <laughs> than this one was. Although this game seems to have sold well, but their stock dropped, and obviously lots, lots of backlash. <clears throat> I've been talking continuously for too long, so I need some water. But no, this was a, I don't know, this is not how I wanted this to go. As much as people will like sometimes demonize me as like an antagonist to them because they're like in ultra fanboy mode and I'm the bad guy for criticizing something 
it's like things deserve criticism in many cases like you like my approval and enjoyment and enthusiasm are a thing you earn and like that's that's just what like that's, that's having taste like and they've earned it twice like before this game came out this was like those this is one of those companies that i'm like i don't know they, maybe they're like a do no wrong company like bioware and super giant games and that list has not aged well <laughs> now that list is like super giant games and lucas pope because <laughs> i don't after like this after mass effect andromeda and cyberpunk 2077 i'm like i don't they're not a they're not a company that just wins by default they're uh when they they have a particular thing that i that i liked and when they make other stuff they might not pull it off and it might not go so hot and that's a bummer which people are allowed to fail but uh that doesn't mean you could like, obviously you still criticize things that's it's just weird this weird take somebody was somebody was like weirdly remarking in the comments like this is how bioware ended up how they are now cuz cuz of this like on my like saying that on one of my com on my, one of my videos like me criticizing a company is gonna ruin it and like they bioware got ptsd and everyone quit after the mass effect 3 ending and it's like it's like okay like obviously if people send death threats and harass people like that's bad but if something comes out that's bad criticizing the thing that's bad is not in any way a bad thing and you can't blame the fate of the company on the fact that people didn't like a thing and they criticized it like it's one thing if people completely overstep their bounds and and behave in a way that they should never behave like that's never okay i ban people from my own channel constantly because they speak to me in a way that is an unreasonable way to speak to another person and there is a zero warning one strike thing where if you completely like if you if you completely disrespect me and say something incredibly rude and or insulting and that, like that's well beyond the bounds of what you'd ever say to someone's face then you don't get a response you don't get a warning you just get immediately banned and you'll, you'll probably never know you were banned because it's a shadow ban and i don't give a shit fuck you like that's just the internet sucks and people are, treat each other like shit and i am I, i'm absolutely willing to ban anyone who does that because they make my life worse and letting them continue to comment on every video would just be them just like it's like some self-hating bullshit where i just let people like make my day worse on a daily basis and it's like no fuck them get out bye <laughs> no appeals there's no there's no judicial appeal system here you're out goodbye it's th this comment sections are too low stakes this is not like a right you don't like you're not owed this space you can fuck off the moment i decide you can fuck off and if it, i don't care if it's unfair because it's my comment section and i have to live here it's my job uh it's that simple so yeah like i understand people are trash but no, I'm not going to accept the idea that it's somehow immoral to criticize a game. That's a fucking gonk brain take, brah. Choom. Bro. Choomer. <laughs> Unacceptable. Stupid, stupid thought. No. And if you can't get the nuance between death threats and criticism, then it's kind of on you. <laughs> like, I don't know how the, fuck, how the fuck to fix that for you. That's an incredibly bizarre thing. Cause yeah, like this, this, this fucking weird fanboy nonsense where you just like 
they, you divide the internet, you divide stuff into teams, and you have to like fight for Cyberpunk because you've decided you like CD Projekt Red, so you have to like champion the game and fight anybody who disagrees with you about the game. Is just like the fuck? No, what? what who's this for? The company's never gonna love you back, and the company deserves to be under fire to some extent for this. The right people should get blamed for it, and they never will, unfortunately. But yeah, like, it's the people who ran this project, mismanaged it. That's basically always the case. Like, games where the people working on it, on like, that are in the trenches, make mistakes, have significantly less major problems. Games that have major game-spanning spamming problems, like Mass Effect Andromeda, and Cyberpunk 2077, and Wasteland 3, and... Uh, no Man's Sky at launch. Uh, when games have those massive of problems and massive dis- mis- uh, miscommunications and massive like, you thought you were getting this game, but you actually got this game, and like in many cases lies, like or you know, Peter Molyneux. Uh, that's management problems. That's the people at the top fucking everyone. And like I've worked retail. And I and I currently work with YouTube, so like I get it. <laughs> I've worked at Best Buy while the people managing it that never work in the actual location are just running into the ground. I hear constant horror stories from Stephanie from her job about how like the, the her, her 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 company is just ran like ass, and she, it's just a constant horror story of like how the people that are never in the building that run the overall corporation fuck everything but also the management in her building fuck everything and it's just mixed hell life hell for all the employees all the time and like youtube is this bizarre top bottom uh top down nightmare where like the people that run the whole thing are just like unaccountable to any of the people that they that actually make the content on this channel on this on this website and like they make sweeping choices that fuck everybody and we never have a say and so on like that. Like, I get it. I get it. Like, yeah, the right people should take the blame, but the idea that criticism is unwarranted or should not be said for any reason is just fucking stupid. That's the thing is I don't, I don't send harassing emails to anyone or I don't even tweet my videos of criticizing games at the developers or anything. I just make content passively that people choose to watch. And, like, if someone wants to, like, watch a video of me criticizing their game, then that's their right, and that's their choice, and that's their own behavior. Maybe it's a self-destructive cycle of insisting on going through content that they don't want to go through, and but they can't look away for some reason. Uh, but maybe they find it entertaining. And in many cases, the criticism is valuable. I have had a lot of developers, indie, obviously, uh... I, I don't exist AAA developers usually. Although Brian Fargo shared my Wasteland three play, Wasteland two playthrough, and that was weird. Uh, but uh, indie developers often watch my stuff, and they learn things in the process. Things that they did well, things that they did poorly. They they apply it to future projects. They thank me for the thing. I've gotten these big letters in the past about this stuff. Like it's this is valuable feedback in many cases about what's going on, and and also just like where. They're also like using using us as playtesters in many cases. Like, they they uh, watching people play the game on streams and so on is often useful feedback. Like, if you watch the No Clip documentary about Hades, you can watch the developers of Hades watching live streams 
of their own game. Like they'll put out a patch for the game in the early access period, and then they'll watch the streamers play their game and see exactly like the instant feedback, just like that. Like they have like a, it's like they're outsourcing their playtesting and stuff. Like this stuff, like what I do serves a purpose. And so like that's that's that only that only further emboldens me to be like, no, this is warrant like this is what I do is fine. This is warranted. I'm not fucking flawless. This isn't like a carefully researched thing where I play the game four times through, then taking notes every time and revise and edit it and like write a review and like a video essay and all that. Like this is my live commentary and I can be wrong about a mechanic or be wrong about a story beat and I completely accept that. And anybody watching that, this should understand that. They, like, they should have a basic, like just the most basic literacy of what kind of media they're watching and what it means versus other kinds of media and how, they're, how different things are made differently and mean different things. And the developers are generally sophisticated enough to know that even if the viewership of uh, in many cases irritating fanboys don't get that kind of stuff like that's there's there's nuances here uh this has been a long little podcast at the end huh got me you got me fresh in the morning because i started a new day because i thought there was more game it sounded like we were starting a mission but it was actually just us driving to the ending uh whoops uh god but yeah, I, I don't think this game's this game's savable to some people, but I don't know if it's savable for me. It can hit a level of being playable, but it's never going to become great. I don't think in my eyes, and that's a bummer. Not unless they massively, massively overhaul the game, including large chunks of its narrative and gameplay, uh, which I don't see that happening. Generally speaking. Like, as much as people will be like, you should have played this game one or two years later, like, generally speaking, when you play a game later, you get the same experience, but a few little balancing tweaks that make it grow a little smoother, and then, like, maybe most of the bugs are gone. But, like, fundamentally, deep down, it's pretty much the same game, almost always. And, like, I look at this, and I can see through the bugs and some of the balance problems and see what the game is just as a concept in its execution and it's just i don't think it's a great game <laughs> it's not an, i don't think it's an especially strong rpg and it's not an especially strong uh like action game either and the, to some extent, there's the fact that they use the witcher 3 dialogue system which is very limited and doesn't usually offer that much role playing but that was because Witcher in Witcher 3, Geralt was such a fixed character for the most part, and you're kind of playing him. And you still can make meaningful choices along the way and do a bunch of cool stuff, but it still wasn't like... Like, you, you never had full control in the way that you would in some other games. Like, you, could, you couldn't totally go crazy with it because he was still Geralt. But the story was so captivating and the characters were so well-drawn that you didn't necessarily care... But here, when that neither of those things are quite as true, it's a little rougher to get to come around to that. Like they try, you can see the bones here, like how there's side content that affects the main content eventually. Like I did an ending that I could only do if I did that whole quest chain. I have no illusions. Like if I had just done what I needed with Pan Am and then moved on, obviously I wouldn't be getting join. I wouldn't be joining the Aldecaldos. I'd barely know who the Aldecaldos were. Because I would like, I would have barely interacted with them, and so that my endings would have been uh, 
do Johnny Silverhand's plot or do the Arasaka plot. And those would have been the things. Uh, and so, like, that is that is a payoff in a way. But, like, I, I can't help but think back to, like, the Red Baron or the Bloody Baron or whatever from Witcher 3, the first major story arc after you get out of the little tutorial area. And, like, you have, like, the, the little fetus monster. You've got the three witches. You've got the monster. you got, the like, the tree spirit. You've got the Baron himself. His And... Uh, you have all these different... Was it his sister or his wife? I mean, was it his daughter or his wife? There's a... There's more There's more and more character elements in there. Like, you had a bunch of different parallel storylines that were mostly side content that all fed into this one setting and made this one setting feel more rich and kept adding new uh, dimensions to this main story so that when you did that, then go and finish the main story element of that area suddenly all those things that you were interacting with all started coming into play in different ways and they would have gone differently if you made different choices during those quests or if you didn't do those quests at all because those quests weren't mandatory in many cases and like the and how that all came together into one big crescendo like that was the big for many many people that was the the big highlight of all of Witcher 3 was actually the first what was kind of like act 1 or whatever or whatever the however that's denoted but there were different variations of that too. Like I think there was like, was it the lands meet? I think in Skellige, there was like we're all building up to this big, uh, this big event. But you can also interact with all the, all the different characters and do a bunch of side quests throughout that area. And that that col- that both colors and even changes the uh, outcome of stuff. Some some of the stuff there and changes the story and it all builds together. This game didn't really have like nodes that all built together into a coherent way. And then, like, a big final story that it all paid off all the stuff that was happening. Like, it, like the side content with your various main-ish characters kind of just felt just like side content. Like, just kind of like, it kind of happens in a vacuum. And then you get, then it gets paid off by the end. Mainly just in the form of, like, hey, hey, V, here's my voicemail. Like, that we just saw. Like, that's kind of what we got in many of these cases. Like, there just wasn't necessarily more... Uh, uh, they just kind of regressed. Uh, mm. Yeah, this is a bummer. The uh, they also seem to repeat uh, the mistakes of Deus Ex. Funnily enough, Human Revolution before the director's cut, because they had because that game was like you can be stealth or you can be action, but also here's some boss fights that you have to fight, and it completely breaks the game. And and it's like because they were outsourced to a different studio, and they weren't coherent with the rest of the game structure. And they in the director's cut they added like stealth hacking solutions to those boss fights so they were more bearable. Uh, this game totally lets you go wherever you want with your trees and your skills. But also, your stealth hacker is suddenly going to be in a boss fight with a ninja in the main story. With the uh, was it Oda? When we did the uh, the parade mission, there was that big boss fight where you you definitely just have to fight that guy. And uh, it seems like you probably just have to fight this uh, atom smasher at the end. It's like those kind of moments are like, I huh? You took your big game and you made it small. You shrunk the mechanic options down to like a really narrow way. And I'm, I'm so there should have been so many more like choices in this game that I really had to think about. And man, 
I what would I, oh, what a dilemma like I and they're they were surprisingly rare in a setting that seems inherently like it would make you conflicted in so many different ways. There just weren't that many big choices where I'm like, I don't know. What am I going to do? Oh, man. Uh, what a hard choice. And in many cases, you do this by having a series of uh, a large cast of characters that you care about. And those characters are at odds with each other in some way. They're members of different factions or something. And this will do this for that faction and that for that faction. Like, this is a thing that games get on a really basic level. Like, Elex is a game that had so many problems, but they at least understood the idea that they should introduce a party member that is from each different faction and have their interests be at odds with each other. And then you have to make major choices that put that are, that will help this faction and fuck over that faction and so on. And that game had so many problems, so it didn't really pay off that stuff that well because in, among other things, you just didn't care about the characters that much and so on, but at least they understood the idea there. In Wasteland 3, in Wasteland 3, you have to make a major choice, and that's going to, like, some of your characters are going to probably try to kill you, or you'll have to kill them if you make this choice or that choice. Like, because they're just so, that that choice is so all or nothing, like, these characters or those characters cannot accept you making that choice, and they will leave your party or they will attack you. Dragon Age does this, Mass Effect does this, so many games understand the idea of that, and it's like... That's one of the ways you add weight to these choices. I almost never had choices that were going to affect the people around me. So there just wasn't that much weight to almost any of them. But also there just wasn't that much of a moral dilemma as a concept in many cases. And so it just wasn't... It was just it was so... Uh, so many of them... Because once again, so many of the stories were just like... This character wants revenge for this thing. So are you going to help them? Or are you going to like suddenly take the side of this way less developed character that they're taking revenge on that you don't have the, they and like in many cases you don't even get the chance to get the full story uh at all from that person and it's just like there's just they don't they just don't go places huh i'm just sitting here cooking this game in my head and it just keeps i keep seeing more weird missteps like where were my dilemmas Part of the fact is, part of the problem is the game's so modular. Modular in a way that, like, one of the way, one of the best ways to make a, a pull-off an, an open, like any RPG, really, is making it feel like a, cohere, a cohesive world where everyone exists together and they interact and they're at odds with each other. Like, when Mass Effect 2 knows to acknowledge the fact, like, hey, you're putting these people on your ship. Like, you're going to walk in sometimes, and they're going to be arguing about something, and it might get heated, and this might be a problem. You can't, you can't just, you can't, or like in Dragon Age, like, you can't just put Loghain and Alistair in your party. Like, that. you think that's just going to work? What the fuck do you think is going to happen? Or like Jack and Miranda, like, people are going to interact with each other, and there's going to be choices you make that are mutually exclusive of, like, who it helps and who it hurts, and that might that might be an irreparable rift that you create in the process of that conflict. There are people that have their own things that they want to do, and they might point a gun at you in the moment. Genophage. God, the number of fucking character conflicts you have with different people with that you care about because of the genophage. Oh my goodness. Where was the stuff? 
and almost none of the characters you meet in this game interact with each other, or even know each other exist for the most part, they just don't know you. You encounter them in a completely modular... That's I, that's why I miss T-Bug and Jackie. T-Bug and Jackie and Dexter interacted with each other, and they and they were at odds with each other, and it was going somewhere, but then that story just ended, <laughs> which it wasn't even a bad ending. That was a... That was a, like, honestly, like, the Arasaka heist is good. Like, it's actually good. Like, this, that all of that story, that's like a fucking, that's a movie right there. That, that, that story. But then the game goes on for like 50 hours after that, and it never does it, it never get, can re recapture that. And so even when I'm get I'm grouping up with my, with my, my Aldecaldo's bros that have technically had more screen time, I think, at that point. It never feels that. It never like Mitch and Saul. They're never like they're never like Jackie and Dexter. Dexter, which had Dexter was the one who had the least screen time, and he's still like I had I had like here's his motivations, here's what kind of person this guy is, here's how this is gonna go. And like Jackie and uh sorry, not Jackie. Like, Mitch and Saul, especially Saul, are just kind of, they're kind of boring. And it's just, I, eh. It's, the love wasn't there in the same way, maybe because they were optional, the entire ending was optional. They tried, though, in that ending. Like, that ending was pretty solid, honestly. Like, that, once I got past the point of no return, suddenly the game was better again. In a lot of ways. And seeing how good the game was before and after the open world, while still not being incredible, it was so much better than the, than the entire open world middle part of the game that I can't help but think like it, like it's it's easy to see the mistake that was made here. And we had this again. We had this with uh, Mass Effect Andromeda as well, where in Mass Effect Andromeda, uh, we had that demo mission. It was, it was like the vertical slice mission. It's the loyalty mission for that one that one dude in your party, the human guy. I don't remember their names anymore. But like his loyalty mission was suddenly this like well-paced level with like proper level design and verticality in a game. Like that game had platforming and jetpacks and suddenly there was an actual level that remembered that and had verticality to it. And it had like comic timing and well-written and well-animated and well-paced cutscenes. And it was fun. And it was like, oh my goodness, I'm suddenly playing like some of the wacky shit, like the fucking weird spy mission from the Citadel DLC of Mass Effect 3, where it's like, oh, look at this weird, funny, stupid adventure we're going on. Like, that mission was something like that. But no moment of the rest of Mass Effect Andromeda felt like that, or sounded like that, or anything like that. And it was just like, I... What? What? Uh... It's like you get this glimpses of what the game could have been if it was fundamentally different. Because Mass Effect Andromeda was also this pointless open world that just was a waste of time. The open world didn't didn't add to the game. It was just a big, stupid splotch of map that you ran that let you approach every encounter from any direction. So no encounter could have meaningful level design, and you just shot dudes in an open field but sometimes the open field's purple and sometimes the open field's acid <laughs> and it's like cool wow but it's just like open worlds are 
they they're often just like the antithesis of level design. God, I hope Elden Ring is good. <laughs> Please. Uh, I'm just thinking about that. The next From Software game is going to be open world. And this is where many of my favorite studios suddenly make a trash game. I'm hoping it's good. They're, they're thoughtful. They're thoughtful. They try really hard. So I'm hoping that Elden Ring is another game I can put alongside Breath of the Wild and Pathologic 2 of actually using the concept of an open world to make a good game instead of just putting it there on the table and doing nothing with it like Andromeda and Cyberpunk did. Uh, this was really long. I guess I'll make this a podcast. I guess you guys already know that. So it probably made it a podcast. Uh, I'll put a little disclaimer at the beginning or something explaining the context of it. Because this is too long to put at the end of the finale. So I'll make it its own video. A little standalone podcast. Why not? Why not? Anyway, guys, thanks for watching. Like always, I... Oh, I get to, I get to play something new now. That's always something to look forward to. <laughs> On to the next adventure. Always hoping for the best, but prepared for the worst. <laughs> <laughs>